The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. All right, John chapter 9 with me if you would. <clears throat> you pardon me if I'm a little sniffly this morning, my allergies are kind of acting up today. And uh, I took my meds, but sometimes it takes a while. I take them every day, but I, I still do battle some of them. John, we're going to start in John chapter 9. Um, we spent the last several months dissecting the mind and the heart of a servant of God, a true servant of God. Um, we've looked at several different things. We, we talked about, um, we've defined what, what is a servant, and we've, we've identified how we become a servant of God, and we've examined the source of our service to God. Uh, then for the past several lessons, we've been considering the attributes of a servant of God. Uh, things such as servants will de- service will demand sacrifice. Service will lead to suffering and uh, selflessness. A servant of God, we said, is faithful. He's fearless. He's fervent. He maintains fellowship. He's flexible. He's focused. He's forgiving. He's a finisher. Uh, we said that a servant of God is content, consistent, cooperative, compassionate, competent. Uh, last time we said that he's dependable, uh, capable of being trusted and reliable. Dependability is, is important. And uh, a ser- true servant of God, uh, we said, is, is dependable. We also said a true servant of God is determined. And we looked at that last time. Uh, we, we looked at Daniel. We saw that Daniel purposed in his heart. He was determined. Even given his his situation, even given the fact that he had been he had been taken from his home and placed on in bondage, and 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 Daniel had every reason in the world. And if anyone had a right to be bitter and 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 and, uh, uh, and, and give in to all of his circumstances, it was Daniel. Uh, but he did not. He purposed in his heart <clears throat> that he would not defile himself, and he stayed faithful to God, and he remained a true servant of God. And time ran out on me last week as we came to point number 19. <coughs> so this morning, that's where I'm going to pick things up at point number 19. And that is this, that a servant must be dutiful. A servant must be dutiful. John chapter 9, we read from verses 4 and 5. Jesus speaking here states, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Let's pray. (coughs) Father, uh, we ask today that you would instruct us, that you would help us to examine our hearts. And Lord, that we would focus our life to be uh, a true servant of you. That we would uh, do, do all that we must do daily to serve you faithfully and diligently. Bless this time we have together now, we ask in Jesus' name. (coughs) Amen. The definition of dutiful, I I 
I put it on your study sheets, I noted it on your study sheets, is conscientiously or obediently fulfilling one's duty. So to be dutiful means to be conscientiously doing that which you should do. Obedient to what is expected of us. Um, The time will come, listen to me, I don't care who you are, I don't care how long you've been saved, the time will come when you will not feel like serving God. Uh, The burdens of your job, the burdens of your home, your marriage, your children, your relatives, these things, the cares of life, will weigh down upon you. i got to kind of fix this thing. It's being a little noisy here. It's bothering me. Um, the cares of life will overtake you. Uh, we've all experienced it, amen? Sometimes you just don't feel like serving the Lord. Uh, you will succumb to a bout of self-pity. Poor me. My friends get to do all these things I can't do. My relatives do all these different things and I can't do them because I'm a believer, because I'm a Christian. Poor me. And we, get in, we fall into bouts of self-pity. Uh, and you will not want to serve God. I remember when my... I, we didn't have our son yet. I just had my two girls. And I remember one morning, one Sunday morning, waking up, and I was tired. And I was a bus captain, and I had to get up real early on Sunday and and go to the bus yard and meet the driver. And we would take the bus, and we would leave the bus yard really early, and we'd drive and, and, and go pick up our workers first. Then we would go and start picking up kids. And it was a long day. Church would end, and we'd have to drop everyone off. And We wouldn't get home until, I wouldn't get home until 2, 2 2.30. And then we had to hurry up and grab something to eat and head right back out the door because we had choir practice to go to. And I had to rush out to choir practice and then choir practice for an hour and a half before church and then church. And then when church would let out, we we had a staff meeting every Sunday night after church. So I wouldn't get home on Sunday night till 9.30 or 10 o'clock. And I'd been up since like 5 a.m. And after a while, that wears on you, amen? And I remember I got up this Sunday morning and I I said, I am not doing this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And I started walking down the hallway to go to to my phone. And I was going to call Brother Gilbert. Brother Gilbert was the director of our bus ministry. I was going to pick up the phone. I was going to call him. I was going to say, Gilbert... I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And I was walking down the hallway and I passed the bedroom of my two daughters who were laying in their beds asleep. And as I walked by that door, I stopped and looked at them and I thought about them and I thought about all the children in that area that we affected with our buses. And I said, I can't, I can't quit. I have to keep going. 
And, and I did that because of a sense of expectation, a sense of duty. Uh, I, had a, I had a responsibility. I had a duty, not only to my wife and my children, but to all those whom God had brought into my life. I had it, they, they expected, uh, how would those children have felt that Sunday morning if they waited for the bus and stood there with anticipation and the bus never came because I decided I was tired of that. And, and that's, some may say, well, that's not fair to place that burden upon yourself. Jesus said, bring, my, bring your burdens to me and I will lay my burden upon you. Amen? And that, that became my burden. And my burden was to do the work of the Lord. That's what Jesus said to his disciples here in John chapter 9. I must work the works of him that sent me. We have, a, we have a responsibility. I don't like the word duty so much because it's my privilege to serve the Lord, not my duty. But there are expectations placed upon me and there are expectations placed upon you. God has a purpose and a plan for us and he, he desires that we fulfill that plan. So the time is going to come when you're not going to want to do it. You're not going to feel like it. You're not going to want to serve the Lord. But we must serve. We must. If, if you and I don't do it, then who will? Will the world do it? The world won't, won't serve the Lord. It is we, his children, who must, who must serve. It's, it's our obligation. It's our responsibility. It's our, for lack of a better word, duty. Romans chapter 13 we read, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. <laughs> let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. And let us put on the armor of light. Paul said, it's time to wake up. It's time to, 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 to get the sleep out of your eyes and get busy and serve the Lord. Now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. And we must work, as Jesus said. Have you, awake, have you ever awakened in the morning and struggled within yourself to get up and get ready for work? Have you ever done that? You've never done that, man? My goodness, you're a wonderful man. I do it every morning. My alarm goes off at 4 a.m. And I lay there in bed and say, oh, I think I'm going to call in sick today. Problem is, I'm the boss, so I can't call in sick. Others, others are, are expecting me there. And and if there's trouble and I'm not there, it's not going to get taken care of. So I, I wake up and I don't, I don't want to get ready for work, but I, I do. I, 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 I get myself out of bed and shake off that attitude and I get ready and I go. <laughs> but why? Well, I, I have motivations. I have things that motivate me to work. Taking care of my wife and providing for our family. 
Uh, those kind of things, right, that motivate us. That's why we work. Uh, I mean, I tell people at work all the time, you're here to make money. You're not here because it's fun. You know, you're not here as a hobby. You're here because you need money. And you, you exchange your labor for, for money. And that's what motivates us to go to work. Well, what motivates us as believers to remain obedient and faithful servants to God? Now, I'm not going to give you some earth-shattering things here. I'm just, you know, as, as people, it's kind of interesting. I, I, have to, I find myself with my employees, for example, having to repeat the same things over and over and over again. You ever notice that? You got to tell your kids the same things all the time, don't you? You always have to be repeating yourself and you have to be hitting on these things constantly. Well, that's because we have a flaw as a human being and we forget. Or we don't necessarily forget, but we get so consumed with what's happening around us that it loses its importance to us. And so we have to be reminded of some things every now and then. And I want to share with you, the Bible talks about abiding gifts. Abiding gifts. Gifts that God has given us that never goes away. They're always with us. And these are the things that I think motivate us as God's children to be faithful servants. So I'm going to share those with you this morning and then we'll be done. First one is this, faith. The first factor I believe that motivates us as God's children is faith. Now, I must begin by acknowledging that the world does claim to express faith. However, the faith expressed by the world is simply an arbitrary faith. Arbitrary faith is one that is based on random choice or personal whims rather than any reason or system. So people in the world say, sure, I have faith. They have faith. They, ex- they express and exhibit faith. But it, it's not, in, it's not in, in any, any uh, it's not in the Lord or it's not in any scriptural truth. Their faith is based upon their own their own expectations or their own personal preferences. It is an empty faith. Most of the time it's just a a, a mere statement. They'll say, oh, I have faith in that. Yeah, I have faith in that. But they don't don't express any faith. They 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 don't prove that faith. As James said, show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. People claim to believe in God, but they they have no fruits of belief. People claim to love God, but they they express no love toward God at all. It's an empty faith that lacks any substance and merely offers an empty, vain expression in an unfounded concept. However, The faith which is peculiar to God's children is a fruit and effect of electing grace. And for that reason, it abides with us. It is a tangible faith. 
It is a substantial faith. Now, again, the world, to, the, to the world, faith is an, is an arbitrary concept. But to you and I, if we are children of God, it's not, it's not arbitrary at all. To me, my faith is as real and as tangible as this book I'm holding in my hand. I can touch it. I can feel it. I experience it moment by moment. It's a substantial faith. It, it sustains me. It holds me up. It strengthens me. It, it empowers me. It's a, it's a genuine faith. And my dear friends, if we are going to be dutiful to God, then we must possess this faith. And we do possess this faith. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I'm sure each of you here could stand in turn and share with us your experiences in your life with faith. You have things that have happened to you that cannot be explained by anything else other than faith in God. So we have a substantial faith. It's 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 real. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we forget that it is God that worketh in us and through us. And not we ourselves. God has given us a faith, has been measured to us. And has been given to us without repentance. God God doesn't take that faith away from us. Now, we may... We may lose that faith, not lose it, but we may, uh, we may misplace that faith at times and begin to doubt and fear. But it's a gift from God and, and it's, it's exactly what we need and it never fades away. <laughs> In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, Paul writes, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. It is the work of God and the operation of his spirit. And is therefore performed with power in the life of his children. As I walked down the hallway that Sunday morning. It was, it was the faith that God has given me that woke me up, that shook me and said, you have a responsibility. There are expectations placed upon you. You have a duty and that duty must be performed. And, and we consciously accept that duty and we obey and fulfill that responsibility. It is the grace by which a soul sees and hears Christ. <clears throat> How is it that you can sit in a pew right next to someone else who may not be a child of God? You hear the voice of Christ and they do not. You ever thought about that? You ever think about you and, and, and as you walk through life, there are people all around you who are not saved. 
and you are driven by your faith, yet they are lost and without hope and without faith? How blessed are we to know that we have been given faith by the Father? We are truly blessed. It's a grace. This, this grace, as I said, is by which we see and hear Christ and, and, and lays hold on us. And, and causes us to receive him, to rely on him, and to live in him. It is this abiding faith that produces victory in our daily life. And it is this abiding faith that causes us to obey as servants. So, first motivation that we have as God's children, the first thing that motivates us to be faithful and good servants of Christ is, our, is the faith that has been given to us. But secondly, we have, we've been granted something else, another gift from God that causes us to be his servants. And <clears throat> the second thing is this, hope. Hope. Now again, as with faith, the world lives by an unfounded, unsubstantiated hope. When I witness to people and I ask them if heaven is their home, their usual response is this. I hope so. Huh? Any of you ever got that answer before? You're going to go to heaven when you die? Well, I sure hope so. Well, as with faith, that's just empty talk. We get so used to saying, I hope so, don't we? It's kind of like, it's kind of like a saying, I love you. It's easy to say, I love you, but yet not really love the, the person you're saying that to. It's, it's easy to say, thank you, but yet feel no gratitude. And it's easy to say, I hope so, yet have no hope. This type of hope is based upon a desire, a wish, if you will. They hope, they hope to go to heaven. They, they want to go to heaven. They, they wish they could go to heaven. But there's no faith, so there's no certainty. There's no assurance. It has no real expectation. Their hope is empty. It's just, an, it's just a word. It's just an expression. It has no foundation. However, when we, as God's elect children, speak of hope, <laughs> we're not really hoping at all, are we? We're not. Do you hope to go to heaven today? How many of you say, I hope to go to heaven? I may say, I have a hope in heaven, but I know I'm going to be there. It's not a hope. It's a surety. It's a fact. Our hope is founded. It is anchored in Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is a steadfast and sure hope. It is not hope at all. It's reality. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 14. Let's go to John chapter 14. And let's begin reading at verse 1. John chapter 14, verse 1. 
Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Jesus said, you believe in God, believe also in me. My hope today is really expectation. I expect, I fully expect to awake from death in heaven. I expect to live in the presence of God for all eternity. I am sure of this. I am confident in this. So much so that the reality of that truth enables me to forsake this life and set my heart and, and, and energies on the life to come. You know that we are already citizens of heaven. Did you know that? And in truth, we are ambassadors. We are here as ambassadors of Christ. We are here as emissaries of heaven. And our lives should be such that when people see us, they get a sight of heaven. They, they catch a glimpse of what life in the presence of Jesus is like. At least that's what our life on earth should be. You say, Brother Dalton, does your life express in that way to everyone that sees it? I wish I could stand here and say yes. I wish I could stand here and say at any moment in my life people look at me, they're seeing heaven. They're seeing the Son of God. But I'd be a liar if I told you that. But we try the best we can. We, we, we attempt to live our lives, our lives in faith and with a hope of heaven and others see that. I've shared many times the story of the man that, that led me to Christ, Mike Alpha. And I saw in Mike a life I didn't see in anyone else. I saw in him a faith and a hope I'd never seen before. And I hope that that's what people see when they look at me. And I hope that's what people see when they look at you. That's the life we should live. The real difference is that unfounded and uncertain hope is doomed to fail. Paul's hope was actually expectation, and it was based upon his confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. Let's go over there together. Hebrews chapter 6. Now there's, there's no author attributed to the book of Hebrews, but 
most most theologians agree that it was written by Paul. The the language used in Hebrews agrees with Paul, and and so most theologians agree that Paul is the author. But we don't know that for certainty. But look at verse uh, seventeen in Hebrews chapter six. Let's begin in verse seventeen. It says, "Wherein God." Willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into the and to that within the, the veil, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made in high priest forever after, for, forever after the order of Melchizedek. Our hope, our anchor is in Christ. And, and Paul said, uh, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul's confidence was not in his ability to, to obey the Lord. His confidence was not in his ability to work righteousness. His confidence was in Christ Jesus, the Lord. His hope is in Christ. And as long as Christ is in heaven, I will be there. What did Jesus say in John chapter 14? Uh, for if I go to heaven and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am... There ye may be also. This is why Paul had the confidence he did. This is why Paul was able to serve the Lord in the way he did. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 12, he said, For now we see through a glass, darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. He could say this because the hope in him was real and was abiding. Our hope is abiding and it bolsters our faith. This is what gave Paul the confidence to make the statement he did in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, <coughs> where he states, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I, know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. There is no doubt in the hope Paul had, an abiding hope that does not fa fail or fade away. <coughs> so we have faith, and our faith strengthens us and, and enables us to live a dutiful life. We have hope, hope gives us courage. Hope gives us boldness. It gives us confidence. But then thirdly, we have charity or love. Faith, hope, and charity. These three. In John chapter 13, Jesus says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Again, as with faith and hope, 
The world offers its own interpretation of love, but the world's love is in stark contrast to that of God. God's love is abiding. It will never fail. It will never fade. Now, the kind of love we're talking about here is so incomprehensible to the unsaved man that it makes no sense to him. But I'm sorry to say that many who claim to be God's children also have no comprehension of what I'm talking about today. Look with me quickly at John chapter 14. We're just about done. John chapter 14, once again. Right where we started. And let's look at verse 15, please. Jesus says here, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's, that's a pretty simple statement. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. Uh, but ye shall see me, because I live, ye shall live also. And that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my, com- he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Do you see what Jesus said in verse 15? If ye love me, keep my commandments. Listen, don't tell me how much you love God this morning. Show me how much you love God this morning. And we show that we love God by obeying his commandments. Not by looking for loopholes to justify our disobedience. You and I should show our love to God by our dedication to him. When I was, when I was young, sometimes I wouldn't do what my dad wanted me to do and he'd He'd get on me about it. And I'd always say this. Well, Dad, I'm going to do this. And you know what he used to tell me? Don't tell me what you're going to do. Show me what you've done. And, and that's the same principle here. Don't, don't, don't go around saying, I love Jesus, when we're disobedient to him. Show that you love Jesus by obeying his commandments. It's real easy. In Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 11, Solomon writes, Even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure and whether it be right. Our life is the greatest evidence of our heart and our love. And the love of God that dwells in us richly is an abiding love. It will never fail. Romans 8, and I'm done with this. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. These three, faith, hope, charity, these are they which we have as our motivation to be servants of God. Folks, that's all I have time for this morning. Thank you for being here today. I hope this was helpful to you, and you are dismissed. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. 
If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.